Welcome, everyone, to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I'm, of course, your host, Patch. And with me, celebrating the world of long-form storytelling for this penultimate episode of Invincible Season 1 is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. Patrick, we need to talk. We do, <laughs> we do need to talk. <laughs> we will talk. The most perfectly titled episode ever. Yes. <laughs> it really is. Very fitting. Alternate title whoa whoa or i guess if you were going to shorten it to three letters wtf would probably be the uh, the alternate absolutely alternate <laughs> i watched this shortly after we recorded our last episode and of course people that are listening to these like in order don't know that there has been a time lapse of a few weeks but i remember being shocked and feeling like i don't know that i want to watch this again for note-taking purposes because i feel really thrown back and a little thrown up (laughs) at different points. It was very visceral. This was an episode that is worthy of the penultimate label. Like usually the second to last episodes are pretty monumental because they're gearing you up for a finale. It leads you right in. I have not experienced a, a TV series episode, a season of one that hasn't done that. And I think that that's sort of like a, a call, like a rite of passage for a director, a writing team, a creative team to be like, listen, this is going to shape up to be the second to last episode of the season. We got to, we got to kill it. And there was killing for sure. There was, there's lots of killing. (laughs) We'll get into it. But uh, yeah, this, I don't think I've ever felt something like this shocking since episode one, things were still kind of wild throughout the, this first season, but this really took it up a notch. Yeah. It's shocking moments versus a shocking episode from start to finish. And that's the difference. And I completely agree with you as far as like the word penultimate goes. The idea of that is that you're going to have something that is a really strong, powerful episode, whether it's depending on the type of show, it could be shock value. It could be action. It could be emotional, you know, moments, but it's building up everything that has been happening in your story or stories and subplots to like be ready for their final conclusion Mm -hmm. of the season. And that's what happened here. All of these things that we've kind of slowly been taking steps towards happening. It's like, okay, they're all going to now take a big jump forward at one time. Good luck uh, keeping track. And who knows what's going to happen from here? It was, it was great. I mean, I absolutely loved every second of it. It was like a 50 minute episode, by the way. I saw it when I went to turn it on. I was like, oh, crap, this is actually kind of a a long one. And no idea. Had no. I mean, it was completely engrossing for me. Did not have my attention wane for a single second. No, there was never a stopping point for me either where I was like, can we move on now? Unless I was just feeling completely sick to my stomach because of some things that would be happening. But all exciting stuff. I'm excited to get into it. So let's go ahead and start. 
And as always, cold open, which was 14 minutes long, Aaron. This was, yeah, was probably <laughs> like half the episode was a cold open. I thought they forgot. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did point, too. I was like, yeah. oh, we just forgot. We just forgot the title. <laughs> In my notes, I always label like the first thing cold open because there's usually one. And then I was like, okay, when are we going to get to the next scene? Next, <laughs> oh, oh, forget it. Yeah, because they usually don't shift in like uh, like location and setting. It's usually, yeah. you know, one <laughs> single scene, but this was just moving all throughout. 14 minutes yeah. <laughs> before we get to the title card. All right. Yes. So we open with uh, really great establishing shots of uh, a couple of things happening from the last episode. Debbie's waking up to Nolan in the living room. There's silence. And then opposite that, we have Mark trying to make up with Amber, who turns the music up really loud in William's car. So just lots of just awkwardness happening here. Fantastic contrast, but both actually leading to the same conclusion, which is why did you lie to me? Why are you being deceptive on multiple levels here? Meanwhile, Eve is making breakfast with her powers. Oh my gosh. Wouldn't you love to have this kind of thing where you'd be like, you know, flick your wrist, coffee's made, flick your wrist. Here come the waffles, flick your wrist. Here come the eggs. No, I want, Eve to make me French press coffee with her powers. <laughs> that was my takeaway from this episode was, oh my goodness, how could she become more sexy to me? Well, they just did it. Like, this is awesome. Well, you know, she's very, very busy. So you have to have shortcuts when it comes to your morning routine, <laughs> even sleeping in your suit, which basically, I guess, with a flick of your wrist, you can create a brand new suit or repress it or whatever. Um, thought that was kind of cool. I also like the little branded Teen Team mug. So apparently the Teen Team has a marketing team. I, I noticed that too. Yes. <laughs> That's really great. <laughs> I mean, I have Feel and Film merch, so I wear wear Feel and Film hats around. What's the difference? I've got, yeah, I'm rocking some Sherwood soccer paraphernalia. So it's always about, it's all about the brand. It's all about the brand yeah. with her. So, yeah. uh, or with anybody really. Uh, back at the Grayson home, it's interesting here that, Throughout this conversation between Nolan and Debbie, what we expect, so this was another thing. From the first episode, I remember thinking my expectations were thwarted throughout the episode. Like, hmm, this is not really what I expected. Same thing in this episode. This is one of those moments. We fully expected, at least I did, Nolan to potentially tell Debbie. You know, he seems so upset about the fact that he cannot tell her, but she gives him like almost two or three chances to come clean. She says, was something controlling you? Were you blackmailed? Did they threaten me or Mark? And he goes, no. And she's like, well, then what happened? He goes, I wish I could tell you. And I'm like, we wish you could tell us because why are you being so cagey? So this is the start of the snowball of, I think, Nolan going down crazy town lane because he gets really upset with her because of the way that she pushes back. I don't disagree with the fact that she does that, but he argues with her and he goes, we'll talk later. And then he basically, you know, puts a new hole in the roof, a new sunroof or whatever, without even skipping a beat. But I just thought it was so interesting how he avoided being able to tell her or wanting or needing to tell her the truth about why he did it. Like, that's a question we all want to know. And the person he loves the most, he will not tell her, but he denies that it's these reasons that we thought might be the case. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a continuing thing throughout this episode of him not telling us what has happened, like his motivations, like Cecil tries to get out of him, too, and he just refuses to come clean. And that's obviously being saved for the finale. I hope that it pays off because the storytelling up to this point, 
I need to be believe that whatever his reasoning was, was worth him hiding it to the level that he has. Now, I also think that there's an element here of like things start to pile up on you and you lose control of the situation. And when he first commits the murders, he's able to like manipulate things and he has it what he thinks under control. And at this point, it's all slipping away from him, which is why he's starting to rage. He actually lies to her as well. He says something like, yeah, that's from when I dealt with dark blood. Yeah. He, he basically is telling her that it got bloody from dealing with dark blood, which she knows is a lie. I think this is, again, we've talked many times about how it's relatable to real families. And that's what I like about this is you have somebody that clearly lied. And how often does this happen in our real relationships? Someone goes to someone else and it's like, I want blind trust. And I just think it is such a dumb concept. <laughs> blind trust in general is stupid. It is, abs- I hate it personally. I just, I just don't like it. I feel like there's no reason for it. <laughs> And that's what we see here. Debbie's like, no, that's not okay anymore. I'm not going to do that. Uh, You know, you need to tell me the truth. And I love that she kicks him out of the house. She is fearless. Yeah. And of course, that's probably because she's she has that different relationship with him because they're married. But everybody else treats him as, you know, this he's able to snap you with his fingers. But Debbie's like, get out of my house, (laughs) you know, and and just kicks him out. And it's fascinating to me, that dynamic. And of course, you know, he's a dummy because he broke his own roof. He's going to have to fix it. That's right. Yeah, it's your own roof, (laughs) idiot. Uh, But yeah, it's it's a powerful moment where I think you realize when that goes down, they're not going back to normal at Mm -hmm. at this point. No, you know, it's changed. There's there's trust that's been lost. And it feels next to impossible to get that back because of the fact that he had the opportunity and he still failed to let her in on that. Like, I think she would have been incredibly upset. Like we see the next scene that there's a delay in telling the truth, but I think she would have eventually forgiven him. This just puts her on red alert in terms of, I can't trust you at all over at Amber's house. In the next scene, Mark's trying to convince her to take him back to listen. She slams the door in his face right before he's about to say who he is. And I thought at first, this is where the title card was going to come in (laughs) because he goes, I'm in slam. And instead we get a door instead of titles, but he breaks into her, excuse me. He flies into her room. And this is one of those other misdirections. I thought she'd be like, Oh my gosh, just like a typical, I've just found out that my boyfriend's a superhero But in actuality, she already knew. She's like, yeah, duh, I've known for weeks. And she's more pissed off that he didn't tell her. So we we talked about this a couple episodes ago, maybe even last episode. Do you tell her? And you were firmly on the side of go one way, go the other. Either keep it a secret, be a superhero, don't tell her and become her boyfriend and don't be a superhero. So what are your thoughts at this point? Were you surprised that she knew and that she's really like frustrated that he didn't tell her to begin with? I, first of all, love the juxtaposition of these two scenes, or I, I guess they're not juxtaposition. It's more like uh, they're parallel. There's they're, there's symmetry between them. I, I don't know why I'm not coming up with the right word, but they're basically two relationships. Mark and Nolan have now lost the trust of the person that they love or that they're in a relationship with over not being honest with them up front. And I think... It's just fantastic to watch them both struggle with this on their own little levels, right? Right. 
I loved it. It was so, it's so well performed and like done when she's just like, yeah, I know. And she's, she's not even look up Patrick. She's still yeah. just stay, she's <laughs> yeah. like looking down, doing her thing. I completely side with Amber that and she, in exactly what she tells him. It has not anything to do with the fact that you're a superhero or that you've been gone. It has to do with, you didn't trust me enough to tell me. And Mark being the idiot man, just like Nolan is the idiot man who thinks the answer is, but I'm telling you now, you know, like that makes it all better all of a sudden. Because that's ex- I don't know. I just I continue to marvel at how realistic this series feels to everyday life, despite these people having these massive powers and fighting each other and murdering and, you know, <laughs> all sorts of aliens and creatures and stuff. It was fantastic mm-hmm. and a, a perfect example of a problem that he should have to deal with at that age that he brought on himself. Yeah. Interesting that you use the word Marvel, considering we're watching I, a superhero oh yeah. cartoon. So, <laughs> in any right. Case. Better than in a lot of ways. Anyway, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> so yeah, I, I totally agree. I love the parallel here as well. It's set up early in the episode and then and continues throughout these first few minutes. And then we shift over to Guardians HQ where Monster Girl is coming back to a big welcome back from the team. Rex is using his powers for the only what I would consider like meaningful purpose, which is celebration throwing up some fireworks, providing her with beer from uh, empty milk cartons. The the banter here between him and uh, one of the other superheroes is fantastic. She's like, guess how long it took him to do that and how much milk he wasted. I poured it all down the drain. You know, he's just like so nonchalant about the fact they just got rid of it. And uh, Robot offers his own welcome back message, complete with a creepy repeating, I would never let you die, die, die. Which just continues to just at this point in the episode confirm something is wrong with Robot. What is wrong with Robot? Well, of course, we find out what's wrong with Robot. It's what's right in the next scene. Yeah, exactly. Well, he says operating error soon to be fixed permanently, which makes no sense at all for like 30 seconds. And then it makes all the sense in the world. Yep. Over at the, uh, the Mahler twin hideout where this guy in a truck rolls up, they attempt to shoot him, but he's actually a hologram and that the truck is actually being operated by what I would consider 2023's version of Krang. You know, I got, this was Krang in modern day form. Like I was waiting for turtles to roll out. I was waiting for shredder to like do his bidding, but no, this is not Krang. This is robot in kind of like, this is the guy. This is the thing we saw early in the season. The thing we thought was the clone or whatever. Yes. 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 And didn't get the, uh, the Rex DNA. So from an editing standpoint, the way the show is cut, it leaves us going. Hmm. And I go back to thinking about, the relationship of Robot and Cecil. See, this is something I don't think Cecil knows about this. I, I think at this point, oh, no. Cecil's completely in the dark about Robot's uh, nefarious activities. And uh, I actually would love to go back and watch. Okay, Are so- they nefarious? Mm. We can discuss that. They're, they they they, can, they count they uh, call him on that at the end of the episode, and I had a, I wanted to talk about whether you think he's yeah w- yeah. Hold the thought. We'll get there because I definitely want to have that conversation. So they roll up, he comes out, uh, he is the guy behind Robot, essentially. That's when we find out that uh, they've been growing him a new body. It's the young version of, of Rex Splode, all 
maroon. <laughs> I don't know. Let me just say this because we'll get here at some point. I'm not loving the fact that Zachary Kinto's voice may not be coming back. Buddy, I, I wrote the same thing. I was like, I don't no, love that. The one thing I dislike here is that there's a voice actor change. <laughs> yes. I get it. I understand it. I do. But I, it was jolting for me. Yeah. And I was sad. I mourn the loss of Zachary Kinto. <laughs> Oh, I wow. do too. So before that scene ends, he has them install a neural link uh, in the new body. I actually love how Robot is very nonchalant about the fact that they have put some sort of like tracking devices on this body. And he's like, it's perfect. We are professionals. Except for the timed release mycotoxin sacs, the embedded cortical override and the seven, I'm sorry, eight synaptic transceivers. Maybe I'm old fashioned, but I prefer to be the only person in control of my body. <laughs> yeah, it's great dialogue. Yeah. And then he's like, he goes, I'd actually be disappointed if you didn't try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you hadn't. It's tried. so good. So um, good. It's it is really good. And it was just this was where my first in the notes is is just a whole line that says, whoa, with a bunch of A's going all the way off the page. <laughs> because I, I, I did not see this coming no, at all. Like I, I never in a million years thought Robot was an actual humanoid body of some sort and that Robot was a drone. We, we'd asked, we've had that conversation, we've talked about what is Robot, but for some reason I never thought drone. <laughs> I just... It never. Well, yeah, we asked the question, hey, there's another robot that looks like robot. Like, why wouldn't the drone look different? So there's a reason for that. Like, well, these now are, we know. Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> it's an army of drones that have Zachary Kinto's amazing voice, which is, uh, you know, unfortunate to be to be lost. This next scene, Aaron, is probably one of my favorites in terms of just funny, personable at William's car. Mark and William are chatting about how Mark is all down on himself because he says, I'm a terrible friend and a worse boyfriend because I'm going to fail my last year of high school because I got everything I ever wanted and I messed it all up. Yeah, pretty much sums it up, Mark. You're a screw up. And I think it's fantastic. You mentioned this, I think in the previous episode, there's a moment with him and William where William's lost this crush and there's just a small two second hug, no words in the distance that just says a lot about their friendship. And I love how William gets real blunt with them in such a funny way. He says, okay, stop enough with the sulking, you big baby. What? You can fly. You're invulnerable. Your dad's the greatest superhero on earth and your mom loves and cares about you. You just need to study and you can pull up your grades. But you were a terrible boyfriend to Amber and you got what you deserved. Sorry, not sorry. So matter of fact, so funny, and yet so true. I think William is great here because he's basically not calling Mark out, but I think he is allowing Mark to realize, even though Mark doesn't really receive that, like that's not what he needs and he confesses that. I love that William is able to be there and say, look, you got to put things in perspective. This stuff is fixable and you do have a good life. You've just got a couple of things that you screwed up on, some things that you can fix. I'm here as a friend and I want you to know that I care about you. But yeah, that's the truth about it. This comes because people know the truth about Mark and because he has friends who he allows to speak like this into his life. Nolan does not have that. Right. Nolan's on his own program. <laughs> There's nobody yeah. speaking into Nolan's ear saying, hey, buddy, maybe not. 
maybe not a good idea. Or if it was a good idea and we just don't know that it was a good idea, maybe a handle it differently right. and better. That's the beauty of this. Yeah, I love, love, love their friendship. It adds so much. So I, much more than just the guy in the chair. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I agree. I like the guy in the chair. I love my Ned and what he brings to the table in that story with those stories with Peter Parker. But there's something different about it being this kind of friendship where the person is not there to help you be your superhero at all. He just exists to be your normal friend. Right. And he still is able to exist in that capacity. You know, he also provides a great great analogy a visual uh, analogy of comparing mark to a samurai who gets cut in half but doesn't realize it complete with the visual aid of the burger just kind of falling sideways i didn't realize this until the second time i watched this for note-taking purposes that theme that uh motif whatever symbol uh gets repeated like three times of something being cut in half at pentagon secret headquarters debbie's been taken by cecil's men after no one left Cecil tells Debbie that he knew about Nolan and they get a slap in the face, rightly so. You gotta, you know, she's like, nobody's telling me anything. I thought I trusted people. I can't trust anybody. But they're looking for a way to stop Nolan and they need, and this is where the <laughs> invincible title card 14 minutes later comes in. What's your rating on this episode's title card? Solid eight and a half out of 10. Okay. I, it's, it was long weighted. And so I'd pretty much forgotten it was coming, which adds to its power. And, the way Cecil is sort of in a place of like extreme duress at this point, he's just like, we need like, and the way he's like coming at the camera and then it flashes into it. I, I really liked it. Yeah, I did too. Terrible name though. <laughs> still, still not as bad as somebody else's name in this episode. We're going to get to, okay. But it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, up on Mount Everest, uh, you mentioned this a couple of minutes ago, the isolation, the solitude of Nolan contrasted against Mark and his friends. He's trying to rehearse what he's going to say to tell Mark the truth. I can't not applaud him a little bit because I think he wants to, but it seems a little weird that he's doing it so far away, so far removed. Like it feels almost like a lie because of the fact that he's rehearsing it. Even though I know he wants to, I feel like he's still going to try to lie through whatever he's trying to rehearse. Like even if he tells a little bit of the truth, it won't be the whole truth and nothing but the truth at this point. It'll just 100% be a percent agree with yeah. that. And then we're at the Muller twin hideout uh, where we've gotten the shock has worn down a little bit. They let human robot out. They begin the little brain copy procedure, which looks incredibly painful. Um, I can only imagine how painful it is. And, you know, Aaron, this whole thing really does fascinate me as I watch it because the way they describe it, they say, we're sort of metaphorically getting into the brains of the Mahler twins that every time you make a copy, you essentially have to reconcile with the other person because it's not a transference. Making a copy implies that now the joke that we hear at the beginning of the season, you're the copy. No, you're the clone. Now it's like the real deal. Like it really, it's more serious that, yeah, you can't quite reconcile the fact of who is the real one what they thought would take care of itself. The brain guy, the kind of the fetal version of this, of this dude, they thought he was dead, but he wasn't, but he ends up sort of saying, just let me die. I'm okay with that. As I, as I think through it, it really would be something incredible to experience thinking of yourself in two places at once. And I thought they just, they kind of visually displayed that really well. I did too. And I just, 
really enjoy the Mahler twins over the course of this season. I never would have expected this when we first got introduced to these guys. This is a great use of messing with expectations. They take these funny, oafish, clone, giant, blue maulers, and these dudes are legit scientists. They're in there, like, doing science and, like, transferring brain waves and stuff. And I, I just think that that's amazing. There's a line that perfectly speaks to what when all of this is happening. Robot. Again, I don't even know. What are we calling him? Does he have a name? At this point, he's just a robot. robot. He hasn't I wrote this down, yet. Robot. And I wrote, can we call him that anymore? <laughs> uh, it was, he says, it was an act of mercy. And the Mahler twins very emotionally say, we know, we do it all the time. But like, they acknowledge what you're talking about, that this was a real loss mm -hmm. and everybody treated it respectfully in that moment, even though there's, you know, some maneuvering going on in both sides but at this exact time they were all kind of on the same page i thought that was really neat yeah i mean there's a legitimacy to what they're doing as the mauler twins like they they are smart i mean again i think they're blue so it makes me think of beast you know this these scientific creatures or this creature who is able to clone himself and seeing their intelligence on display i think is very much a refreshing thing for uh for characters like this as they finish up, they've got this deal with Robot where they do this for him. He gives them the schematics for this like restrainment collar, which alludes back to that teaser at the end with the the Reddit, what I call the Reddit dudes. But he's like, I got better plans for you. You guys are going back to jail. They're like, no, we're not. And so there's a fight that starts taking place. And then the truck becomes a transformer. Like that was cool. You know, robots like, you don't know, but my neural link, look what I can do. <laughs> it, he became the Iron Giant. He really did. He looked like the Iron Giant. He really Giant. did. <laughs> and I was like, this is, I mean, this was awesome. I don't really have anything interesting to say. I just, I could have watched it over and over. This The battle was awesome, yeah. especially the way that he attacks him. And then he's like, oh yeah, but. And it was just, it was, it was so good. Yes. At the Grayson home. Nolan is coming home to an empty house, or we think it's an empty house, but ends up killing several invisible agents en route to the secret house where Donald and the rest try to stop him. This is that second instance of someone getting sliced in half. And, you know, they're invisible. He grabs and they become visible. That first one, he just smashes his head on the ground, blood. The second one, he throws him through the, the island. This is why I don't have islands in my kitchen, because I'm afraid that if things get crazy, I will get thrown and my body will get split in half by some superhero that's mad at me or something. Yeah, you know, I just I have fears <laughs> of that now. So that's why I'm going to avoid uh, kitchen islands for, from now on for that very reason. <laughs> It really does enforce his win at all cost mentality, complete with going over to the um, to the safe house where Donald is, where he squeezes his back and breaks it, and then Donald hits that button that explodes the uh, the house, sacrificing himself. R.I.P. Donald, miss you, man, miss you. R.I.P. Like the neighborhood, it was in the middle yeah. of the neighborhood. Yeah. Did you see that explosion? People like, were at school. Though. Like it was at school. They were at school. It's okay. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I that's I couldn't stop thinking about how giant this house it blew up and like how it was in the middle of this neighborhood. Lots like, of things oh, blew man. up, Aaron, and lots of things. There was a lot of collateral damage. I will just say this: I thought about this at the end of the episode. 
Adam Eve is going to have a lot of great business after this with the stuff that's going on. Like that's she's going to be, she's going to be on mm-hmm. ultra cleanup duty, the environmentalist, whatever she's going to become. I mean, she's going to start branding herself as a completely different thing. Now she's got money that's coming in for the, yeah, it's going to be good. All right. Back at the Mueller hideout, the fight ensues and it ends with a uh, new robot. As I'm calling it at this point, getting a call from Cecil to head back to guardians HQ. But then Williams car, uh, we get Nolan politely in air quotes, not politely asking William where Mark is. Uh, it's ominous. Like I, I felt uncomfortable for William and I love the whole bit where he's like, Hey, Omni, I mean, M- Mr. Grayson, like he doesn't know how to react <laughs> because he knows this information, but, but Nolan is like really mad and he's never seen him this way. And I'm fearing for, for William. I'm hoping that Nolan doesn't just go like crazy. Like he already has. He's like, where's Mark? And the way he says it, the words that he uses sound like a dad. He was supposed to be home. He was supposed, you were supposed to drop him off after you went to the school. And like, these are things that a dad would say, but dads who are not superheroes and who could break you in half with their finger. So it was right. very much yeah. like a little of both there. And then um, at Guardians HQ, after an ambiguous call from Cecil, the Guardians are pretty antsy about what to do next. So Cecil's like, stay here. And they're like, what? Robot's mom, not saying a word uh, until the team sees this teenage dude walking in. I just thought, is this Mowgli? Is this like, are we jungle booking now? He looks like Mowgli. This is what he does. Like. He really does. He's got the bare necessities, man. <laughs> or, the, or the robot necessities. He reveals himself to be the real robot or Rudolph Connors, uh, as we now know him. He likes to be called Rudy. So I'll just say that he, he has mentioned that. So for the duration of the episode, I will call him Rudy for his own, uh, just to be polite for him. And, and they're not, I mean, they're not very, uh, I would be shocked too. I mean, I think Rex speaks for all of us in his dialect, like, what the fuck? You know, and he just, <laughs> no, he doesn't mince words. He's like, what is going on here? I would like to know this too. Why does he want to look like Rex? And you know, Rex is like, well, everybody, I get why everybody would want to look like me, but there's got to be more to it than Rex's physical appearance. Well, and he, I think he says something about his relationship with monster girl. That's exactly why. Yeah. So in a couple of scenes later, he is explaining, he's finishing up that the explanation and, and Rex says, why, why me? And very specifically, why a young version of me, you're ruining my childhood, which was already bad to begin with. And Rudy says, it's because of the way that I saw you interacting with Monster Girl, to which Rex has one of the best lines uh, or best reactions. Like, what? I don't even know how to feel about that because it's not a relationship beyond looks like maybe a brother sister relationship. But I think that's the explanation that he gave was that the way in which Monster Girl showed affection towards Rex, the way that she interacted with him, he thought, oh, okay, well, I could just be a young version of him and build this relationship with Monster Girl in an attempt to eventually you know, fix her body as well. So we're back at Pentagon HQ. Cecil, his team, they spot Mark and Eve and Omni-Man closing into them. So Cecil tells his team to bring the hammer down. Okay. So Mark, uh, you know, he left William to go talk to Eve to try to kind of get his thoughts out. He needed a, a different perspective. And I also like that she's not caving into his sadness either she's basically given him the same treatment that william was like listen this is the life you chose by being a superhero you gotta you gotta trust people 
And I think she seems pretty content with what she's doing. Like, I think she's found balance here, Aaron, of being a superhero, but being a superhero on her terms. I think that's what she's kind of gotten to the point of being where she recognizes that she's still needed and that she's not limited to just environmental things that were on display last episode. She's also open to being a superhero in the traditional sense, but she's not beholden to a team. She's not beholden to someone like Rex. She's definitely not beholden to her parents. And I think that that's a great juxtaposition against Mark, who really in this conversation feels looks very immature because I think he wants to choose one path and one path only. Like he's in chaos and she's like, listen, I've been doing this for a while. And I got to tell you, you can do both. You can have the life you want, but as long as you choose it on your terms, I think that's where you find success. I agree. And I, I think what is so attractive about her as a unique superhero too, is that she is, like you said, she is willing to fight a threat if there is a threat that needs fighting, but she's not living only to fight big threats. She is using her abilities to be a constant service to humanity we don't see that. That's right. not a superhero thing. That is just not in the comic books ever, anywhere. Like I would have to really scour them to think of times where superheroes are depicted for a large portion of time as doing anything other than just fighting crime specifically or fighting big global threats. And then they're taking off time in between when they're not, quote, needed She's flipping that on its head by saying, no, I have this ability, this power. Like, I'm going to go help people all the time, constantly. Like, I'm going to seek it out. And I think that's it's, it's, it's probably closest to maybe like a Peter Parker because he's yeah. he does a little more for New York than just crime. He's saving cats and things like that as well. Uh, and I yeah. just absolutely love that perspective. of her. Yeah. And I like that she she sees it all as important. I think that's the big thing is that it's all equally important, which I think we mentioned this on an episode previously that Mark. Oh, it's yeah. It's with the episode um, with uh, Mahershal Ali's character, um, hammer hammer time or whatever his name was. The, the, the all, all stone guy where he said, well, if it's not a big like galactic intergalactic threat, I don't really want to deal with it. And he's like, dude, you don't know what a hero is. I think that, seed of thought is implanted and is growing through what we see with Eve because she knows how to be able to do both. She knows how to be that superhero that can do all that stuff. And it shows us that all that stuff is equally valuable. Like we forget that. We think that we we joke and we say not all superheroes wear a case, but that's true. I mean, she's doing both. She's not having to pick either or. And I love that. I love that she's representing a superhero that can have the things that she wants and the things that the world needs as well, which is why it doesn't surprise me that she sees the explosion and she goes towards Cecil. So that explosion, Aaron was pretty, pretty epic. It came after the hammer being thrown down that hammer being this like gigantic multi-billion dollar laser that basically lives in space and knocks Nolan down a peg for maybe six seconds (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then really doesn't do anything else because then he destroys it like, you know, like a pin, like a, like a little mechanical pencil or something like that. It's, it is. And and I think the only thing that came from it is a nosebleed. Like I love Cecil's line. 
$400 billion for the world's most expensive nosebleed. And I, at this point, I don't know. I mean, does, does Cecil think that they're going to actually stop him? Or, or what's the end game here at this point in the episode? I don't know if they have one. I mean, I think this is very classic humans fighting something that's powerful. They have levels of protocol, levels of escalation to go through, just like all government agencies do, and especially the military. We have different DEFCONs and things like that. Like, they're going through their armaments trying to find the thing that is able. I mean, they, I think if you look at what they're wanting to do, you know, first he wanted it to just be Mark. He wants it to be Mark and Nolan and let's keep everybody else out of it. I, I mean, I actually really respected Cecil after this episode and his moment later that's coming with Debbie too, but he wants to just handle it superhero to superhero and keep the collateral damage out of it. I don't, understand them going for him in the house with like an invisible mm -hmm. assault team as yeah. if that was going to, I think they know there's no way like, you know, that's not going to work unless you appeal to him and his hit from a, you talk him down, but then yeah, the, the laser doesn't work. And so then it's from there, it's just escalation after escalation of trying to find something. I mean, they have to release a beast yeah. <laughs> like on the world that right. they do not necessarily can control. Yeah. You know, Omni-Man was the thing that took it down and now they have to put it back out there to try and fight him. So I, I think he's he knows that like he's he's not happy about this, but yeah. he what what are you going to do when Superman turns bad? Yeah. You know, you're going to Defcon crap at this point. Like you, yeah. have, to, you have to just make it happen. You just throw everything, the kitchen sink at him and you hope. Yeah. So after that scene at Guardians HQ where Rudy's given the the lowdown on why he did what he did. No one is really feeling great about this. Like they're all trying to process this, including Monster Girl. I like that she doesn't just flat out say, that's stupid, or I don't know why you did that. She's like, I'm going to need time. It's a big jolt for us as an audience, for them as guardians. Um, this is where Black Samson sees on the on the big screen, like why Cecil's got them really sitting in, in relief of the sitting in the bullpen. Because... This is where Omni-Man is starting to show his true colors, not just to his wife, not just to Cecil, but now to the world compliments of newscast and, you know, satellites and all this stuff. Eve sees that explosion and she goes to check it out. Mark's like, now nah, I'm done with the superhero stuff. So she takes off. She's my girl <laughs> says get over it. She tells him to get over his <laughs> yeah. breakup and go save some lives. Stop whining. Like he just wants to sit there and whine. And I'm like, yes, tell him. Sorry. Yeah. No, sorry. Not sorry. Props. Be a William to me. That's good. Sorry. Not sorry. So Nolan is continuing his pursuit uh, of Mark and plan B for Cecil is to, I guess, try to appeal to him. He tries to get Nolan to confess why he killed the guardians Nolan's cagey with him as well. And I, I'm I just I'm continuing to see this like anger build up. It's just you're getting more irritable as uh, Nolan's getting more irritable. And when that doesn't work, he says, OK, I'm teleporting out of here. He unleashes the crazy bio soldiers that were D.A. Sinclair. So this is one recurring character, one bad guy from this first season that we actually see in two episodes. So we haven't seen these other start what I call starter villains that we get introduced to, but we never see again. And I'm just going to continue to wonder what's the point until we see them again. So DA Sinclair 
makes an appearance, doesn't talk because his face is all bludgeoned and Cecil doesn't even want him to talk. I do wonder if Ezra Miller reprised the voice role in this, even though there was no dialogue. I don't, I don't <laughs> the know. Grunt, if it, was it him grunting? Was it, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Was it Ezra Miller's grunt? I don't know. But anyway, yeah. So these bio soldiers are trying to stop Nolan again, no go. And the violence just continues to escalate. Um, and I think it's on purpose. I think it's really to give more exposure of Nolan to the world of like what he's capable of. He's not being merciful to anybody. Like he is smashing heads. I think at one point, I think he pulled a head off or pulled on. He, he, he de, de something one of these soldiers and like put a brain or something in the camera before taking off. So it, it very, very much like there's some negative feelings I got here with Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to describe yeah. it. I think he's just, I mean, he's in a rage. He's in a rage is what he is. Like, he's, I don't, yeah, he's in a rage. He's angry and he is now going above and beyond in his violence in order to prove a point and to say, leave me alone. This is going to just get worse for you. Yeah. Well, for, for Cecil, he says to the team, get hail Mary out of the ice box. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what did you think that meant in this moment? When he said, when he said, get hail Mary out of the ice box, because there's a minute before we realize what that ends up being. Did you have any, you didn't have any thoughts? I didn't think it was the kaiju. Like, I didn't know. I, okay, I did not either. First, I did not either. I thought, I, I assumed Hail Mary meant some kind of weapon, as in last resort, right? Yeah. Uh, but I, I definitely was super curious. I was like, are you going to defrost a superhero of some kind that has not, we've never seen? I thought it was maybe going to be a literal new character of some kind that they had on ice, but it ends up being kaiju on ice. Yeah. Um, which I think is great storytelling because we saw them capture a piece of it way, way, way back mm -hmm. at the very end of that episode. Yeah. I, I didn't know. I was hoping we wouldn't get introduced to a new character because we got like 85 that we haven't talked about since, yeah. you know, each episode. So, I'm, I mean, I would be okay bringing back uh auto tune. I think that'd be kind of fun. Uh, but I don't think that would be a, a Hail Mary type thing for Cecil. So I was glad we got what we got, but I was wondering as well. The Mahler hideout shows us that the Mahler twins are successfully able to recapitate the immortal. Okay. The connecting moment for me was like, ah, the immortal, this guy we talked about that we didn't think we knew anything about was actually one of the guardians that was killed by Nolan. So my brain just kind of popped open of like the aha moment. Like, yes, I get it now. And they want to put the, uh, the neck restraint on him to actually be able to control him, which makes a whole lot of sense. You know, he's immortal. You can't kill him. Apparently that's not the case. And, uh, it was short lived. <laughs> they put the thing on. They're like, we want you to go kill the new guardians. And he's like in a rager because he remembers the last thing was that, Nolan killed him and he breaks the, the collar and takes off. So epic fail on the part of the Mahler twins. And I love the line at the end. They're like, yeah, robot gave us bad schematics. <laughs> yeah. You think? Yeah. <laughs> so I thought I was the only one and you were going to make fun of me when I was like, I had the same reaction. I was like, wait, the immortal was one of the original guardians. I didn't remember that. 
was it just because we were so new to the show that we didn't really we didn't get to know them all individually really no we didn't yeah and so we got this small montage right before they were killed Um, where they were hanging out with their families and stuff yeah and we didn't but we didn't get backstory on any of them no i didn't hear the immortals name i don't think i remember it i don't remember it at all and and i was reminded of something tonight in uh, in a class that i was taking that when you're getting ready for an activity, it usually takes you about 20 to 30 minutes to get fully like immersed in it, like to be fully focused. You know, this episode, the first episode was like 30 to 40 minutes. And so we're, we're getting used to the scenes. We're getting used to the, you know, everything. And I think by the time we got to the end, we were so in shock by the fact that no one's just completely obliterated this whole team. I didn't think that the immortal was one of the original characters, but in my defense, and I think in yours, his name never came up. Like it was never shown on a screen. Like we lost, this guy and this guy and the immortal. I mean, it was never made clear besides in dialogue about certain characters that he was one of them. And so when we finally see him, we're like, okay, yeah, that makes, that makes a whole lot of sense. And for a, for a minute, for a minute, I thought, okay, this guy's going to be around again. Mm -mm, Not so much. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And I think one thing that, I wanted to mention before we moved forward too was so there there was a moment at the very end where he mentions the Hail Mary. I briefly just talked about where Cecil is up. Debbie confronts him and she's she's like, What are you doing? <laughs> like, this is not okay. And he says something like, I know, I'm not proud of myself, or I don't like that I have to do this either. It made me think about the scene wherever it comes i can't remember i think we we must have missed it where the new team questions what robot has done and the fact that he you broke the Mahler twins out to use them to get this new body and gave them the immortal black and all these things and so we talked about was that nefarious i see it very much as him and cecil essentially doing the same type of things cecil using da sinclair you're taking that is bad, that is an enemy, something you are not in favor of existing, but you're using it for your purposes to try and fight a bigger threat. And essentially, I think that is what Robot was doing. I want to believe that he is the hero we were sold at the beginning. I don't disagree if you solely put his intent being to help Monster Girl be cured. But he has said he wanted to be with her. Like he has an attraction to her. He has con- a connection to her. And so the things that he is doing are not altruistic in nature. There is a selfishness to it. For Cecil, I can buy into what he's doing because he sees the greater good. And he knows that in order to save the planet, he sees that Nolan is a threat. And Mark, tangentially, he's a, th- he's a threat as well because he doesn't know. He even said that to Debbie. We don't know if Mark's going to side with his dad or not. I think the difference between him and, and Robot is that Robot had a partial altruistic motive to heal Monster Girl. But if he didn't have an attraction to her, like if it was if it was Rex, if Rex had a degenerative disease that he was living with in his body, but had the same attitude that he showed, I don't think Robot's going to do what he does. And so I, I, I halfway agree with that. I think that there is more to what Robot's doing because of the fact that he has selfish, 
and somewhat romantic. I can, I can buy into some of that. Like there's, there's something nice about that, but I'm more leaning into the reaction of the guardians who are like, that's pretty sick. They don't know the whole story. And he tries to, his justification I think is what hurts him because what he thinks he's doing is good. I wanted to save her. And I wanted, um, I thought this would be something by looking like, like Rex. I thought that would make us more connective. I love that we're left in this episode with her going, I got to think about this because I think she actually has the ability to go, okay, I could see the goodness here. And so I'm, I'm kind of on her side where I'm split, but I can definitely see that parallel. And I think it's a great parallel to see how these two individuals will do whatever it takes, even using enemies, bad guys, anti-weapons to be able to accomplish what they need to. Yeah, I, I can buy that. Yeah. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, this fight is epic, Aaron. It's it's so great. We got the kaiju. We got we got Nolan. We got Mark. I mean, there's some punches being thrown. There are superheroes being squeezed to death. But it's it's the moment that the immortal like rolls in and is just absolutely pissed. The punches that he throws. Nolan and Mark are fighting. They're fighting the kaiju. And they're interrupted by the immortal who starts giving Nolan all he can handle until Nolan, and this is how the episode just sort of finishes it off, uh, punches through the immortal's stomach. And then it just, it doesn't stop there. Like, it's like, you're, I, I can't stop here. And he rips the dude in half. So this is the third, like, debodytation or whatever. Well, he doesn't rip him in half just because. He rips him in half because while his fist is in the immortal's stomach, the immortal starts trying to literally poke his eyes out with True. his thumbs. True. And as a means of fighting him off, he rips and pulls him apart. And I this is the worst character name because not only does the immortal die here, the immortal has died twice in one season. Two times. With the name the immortal. So as vincible as Mark is, <laughs> the mortal is much more so yes. than immortal. So I, I love that. I mean, I think it's it's so great because this is this is a fight that shows off so much. It shows uh, Mark's dedication to his dad. He's excited about the team up. It shows Omni Man's immense power that he's already. You know, we don't doubt that, but just how far he is willing to go. And it also shows the world that Omni-Man cannot escape what has happened here. Because even if you didn't know that he killed the Guardians, you've seen him kill a Guardian who's come back. And so, like the new Guardians, the rest of the world is is kind of struggling with that. And the episode ends in probably one of the best ways. All that happens, Mark's like, what's going on And the title of the episode? Mark, we need to talk. And we're yeah. ending. It's great. It's brilliant. I do you think <laughs> I think I've asked this many times. Do you still think that Nolan is a hundred percent the bad guy? That whatever he did <laughs> is for selfish reasons or nefarious reasons. Do you think there is any way this is gonna turn out where we find out the real reason? And it's like, oh, Nolan was right all along. I think I'm going to feel like I did when I discovered Thanos's motivation. Like I'll be half. He has a point. He has a point. I may not be down a with method. it, yeah. but I can see his point. Like it's, 
the fact that he didn't answer Cecil or Debbie when they asked pointed questions, like, were you manipulated? Were you, were you made to do this? Was that the obvious things that we would think motivate someone? He didn't say, he said, no, like he, he denied those things. And the fact that he can't say tells me that there is something holding him back that makes him powerless, metaphorically speaking. Mm -hmm. So it's ironic that the most powerful person on earth is powerless. So I, I halfway believe that something else is not controlling him, but has him in some kind of clutch where he had to do this. And I'm, I mean, honestly, I'm excited to know what that motive is because I'm, I want to wrestle with that. I want to wrestle with if I were omniscient or omnipotent, om, omni, if I were all powerful, <laughs> if I, if I were not vincible, um, if I had these powers and I had whatever motivation is keeping him from telling the truth, the thing that's going to you know, continue, um, would I make the same choices? And so yeah. I'm, I'm kind of excited to wrestle with that. There's one interesting line of dialogue in this episode at some point where I can't remember if he's, he's talking to Cecil. I think it's during the Cecil fight where he's trying to get Cecil's hologram and catch him. Cecil says something about him murdering the, the Guardians of the Globe, and he says something to the effect of, and I'm paraphrasing, but he says, they were weak. This is my planet to protect. Or something that was indicative of him feeling controlling of the job of it being his responsibility and not all these other superheroes that were helping him or being relied on. Um, and I found that really intriguing as is this going to end up being some sort of psychological thing where he is, you know, we learned that in the very beginning of the show, the lore tells us that Viltrumites are sent out to protect a planet. Like it's their planet, their job, their life is meant to protect that planet. And yet here he is just one of a big team and a constant flow of superheroes. Like, is there something psychologically going on with him that he doesn't feel like he's accomplishing his goal and his responsibility because he has help. Right. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's, I'm, I can't wait. <laughs> this is the most I have wanted. I have not, I've ever been firm on not watching episodes until like the day before we record every single week. And I have never wanted to push play again so fast <laughs> in my life watching the, or it's watching the show at least. So yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm tempted to stay up and watch after we finish recording. Here's my theory. I think Alan's controlling him. Oh gosh, I hope Alan comes back. <laughs> I think Alan make my day. <laughs> Alan's behind it all. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this edition of an original series. Uh, coming up next is the finale of season one entitled "Where I Really Come From." That title gets me excited, along with just being generally excited to, to watch it based off of what we're experiencing now. So thank you all for tuning in. We hope that this conversation or this discussion has been like fun for you. It's been fun for us, and we're excited to finish this one out. I'm Patch. He's Aaron. We are out of here.